up and how do and welcome to today's installment of Loose Lips. Within the series that I've been doing, this is the sixth feature. So what I tend to do is Loose Lips operates on a Monday and a Wednesday, have a series of guests and I call each day a different feature. So this is the sixth feature that we are currently finding ourselves on. If you want to check out any of the previous uh, interviews that we've done, then all the links are up on our YouTube channel. So just go to YouTube and put in pop cult chic and you can see our array of previous chats from there. But focusing on today, I'm going to be chatting with Simon Doherty. He is a content editor and producer for Vice. Um, so we're going to be speaking with him shortly and then later conversations that are going to roll through today. We have Neil from King Kobe. Uh, we have Peter Trifonovich. I need to know how to pronounce that for when he comes on. Peter Trifonovich. There we go. Uh, also, we will be having Sarah's story and then the final chat, excuse me, of the day is going to be with one of my heroes of comedy, uh, Paul Foot. Rather, rather surreal. So, we'll see how we'll get on. Simon's just come to the group now, so once he sends me his request, we'll go in and we'll get chatting. Shout out to Nathan in the group and shout out Ricky. Well played, Ricky. I loved it, mate. I'll give you a bell. We'll have a chat about how it goes. Technology connecting us. Hey, up, how are hey. you doing? How's it going? Very good. How are you? Yeah, good, brother. Good. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing to do this. No problem. No problem. Do you know uh, what's crazy is um, I was on your uh, LinkedIn doing a bit of research, as we do, as we do. Mm. And uh, you, so you have, are you from Leeds or you've just got a, lot, a, a strong connection for your early career in Leeds? Yeah, so um, I'm actually I'm actually from Lancashire, from a place called Bury, but I uh, I moved to Leeds when I was 18 to go to uni and stayed for about nine years. Um, just kind of fell in love with the place. I I was always thinking that if I was if I was in the War of the Roses, I would have been terrible because I wouldn't have been outside. <laughs> to go I don't know whether Lancashire or Yorkshire. I love them both. Um, so yeah, so I lived in Leeds till I was 27, and then uh, then I moved to London. Um, so yeah, very much, uh, very much everything, everything in my career up to the point of when I was 27 is all very lead centric, and um, I'm I'm always doing a lot of content on leads so as well because I've still got quite a lot of connections there and stuff. Yeah, yeah I, w I was seeing so one of the things which we must have crossed paths back in the day because even things like Champion Up North, yeah, uh, it's such a good like stepping point, you know, for teaching people the basics and giving them a a good platform to express themselves and, you know, like yourself, get to mm. build and go on to where they go to. So I were involved with Champion Up North really early on, like um, sort of looking to develop my presenting skills. But it's such a hidden gem, not a lot of people know about it. So when I seen it on mm. your LinkedIn, I was like, yes, brother, I see it, I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that, was the, that was where I did my sort of internship, where I was, um, I was, there, for a few I was there for a few months, I think, yeah. Um, but that was around the time where I realised that if you write a little blog about an event, about a music event or something, then you can usually get your friends in for free. So that's that's how the writing started first, before sort of uh, I had a chance to consider doing it professionally. Um, so yeah, essentially it was just uh, originally just to get me and my friends into parties and raves for free, just to get into Mint Club without paying, so we didn't have the money to pay. Um, 
and then and then eventually I got sacked from my job at the university. Um, so I thought I may as well try and uh, try and do that do that full time. Was that the main catalyst then? Was that one of the reasons that spurred you on? So you didn't actually study anything about it. You just felt I'm doing it. I've got a good rhythm with it. And then obviously an opportunity came. You thought, let's see what it brings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like um, I studied psychology at uni, so nothing to do with media or anything like that. Uh, I always wanted to be a psychologist, but um, I just wasn't, uh, I wasn't good. I wasn't sort of like academic enough to do that. Um, and then I had a job at Leeds Beckett in the um, in in the halls, uh, where I was like I was like the welfare officer in the halls. And around that time, I started getting interested in writing. Was working at Champion Up North as well. Um, and then I was just realizing that if I wrote these little blogs, they can get me and my mates in for free. And then I noticed at the halls because uh, I was at uh, Opal One and Two on, down there on Burley Road. Burley Road, and, uh, yeah. It was a living job as well, and. Uh, so basically, I realised that all the uh, all, all the uh, like events companies were kind of at war with each other. It was like a yeah. fly, flyers war. It was really interesting. Was like like, they called it the Monday Night Wars. Yeah, exactly. So like, so like the Voodoo events had the uh, had the sort of um, uh, contract with the university, so they were allowed to fly in Opal One and Two, which is quite a big thing because there's like fifteen hundred students living there. And then, especially when they don't know what bars and clubs to go to yeah. when they first arrive. So, like, if you can get them on your side straight away. Um, but then, then there were sort of, like, other things. No, no curfew events, for instance. They were a big rivalry. And then you had, like, your Jungle Jam, your Back to Basics, and all these people that wanted flies as well. So I've said to them as well, well, if you, if you let me and my mates in again for free, <laughs> then, <laughs> then I'll get you in. I'll get you, I'll get you in, and you can distribute your flies there. And we were getting bribed with, like, pizzas, free tickets to events and stuff. Uh, and then I wrote, I wrote that and, for an article. It was the first article I ever wrote for Vice. Um, but unfortunately, Leeds Beckett University sacked me for writing it. <laughs> um, so they pulled me into the, uh, they pulled me into the uh, disciplinary. Um, and then they had my articles printed off in front, in front on the table. Um, and then, yeah, I got sacked for uh, gross misconduct. So, so have you been sacked from both unis? No, just 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 Leeds Beckett. That was. That so was that's when. So that's what you were sat for. Yeah, gross misconduct for writing an article about the the flyer wars that happened in in Opal One and Two, um, and then and then I thought, well, I may as well just try and do this full time now because I've not really got anything else left. So, yeah. Did you approach Vice about um, that actual specific article, or did they come to you and get you to write about something that you wanted to? So there was an advert that I applied, that, that I responded to, which was saying they were looking for new freelance writers, and um, and part of the thing is you had to submit five ideas, just title and then a sentence of what you would write about. Uh, so I submitted five ideas, and one of them was the uh, the flyer was, um, and then and then they said, oh, we really like this one, write it up. Um, and my girlfriend said, you know, you're probably going to get sacked for this. <laughs> I said. I said no, I won't get sacked. No one sacked me for it. They might give me a bit of a, a finger wag or something, but um, no, she was absolutely right. Yeah, definitely <laughs> would sack you for that, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what, though, right? I'm glad you brought that up because that was such a... If you were around Leeds at that time, that was really... It got a bit hostile. Like, yeah. they were proper sabotaging one another and, like, setting about other people. Like, it was, it was worth, like, noting down. 
Exactly, yeah. And, 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 you know, you couldn't put a flyer up on the wall. You couldn't put a poster up on the wall advertising an event because it would be ripped down immediately yeah. um, by, by people that were selling tickets for the other, for the other team. Um, so we had these locked notice boards. And you had to, I had the key. So you open the, the notice board and then you can put your posters in there. No, no one can uh, rip it down. So I kind of offered some of the people like, uh, sort of like, uh, uh, I think it was a bronze, silver and gold package at the time. I think, I think uh, w with the gold package, you got to like slip a flyer under every, every flat door. Uh, but for that, you would have to sort of let me and my friends in and give us a couple of drinks each. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, bronze, the bronze packet was you can, just, you can just have a few flyers around in the main bit and, and you just let me and one other friend in for that. Um, but yeah, we used to do it for a lot of people, like Jungle Jam, Back to Basics. Back to Basics used to love it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what's interesting, uh, to sort of link everything what you just said then. So you were studying psychology, but you didn't really see that through. However, mm. a lot of what you do now, one of the articles I was reading, uh, the blagging into festivals, mm. it seems like they're still sort of connected in a way. You know, you must use a lot of psychology and a lot of balls, basically, to be able to to pull these sort of things off. So what sort of headspace and how do you prep for some of these, um, these, I don't, I wouldn't call them pranks, these situations that you put yourself in? Well, the festival one was funny because um, I, I basically just, it was quite nerve wracking, but then I thought, imagine, imagine if you were actually smuggling sort of a large amount of cocaine into Thailand, uh, that would be a really stressful situation, wouldn't it? <laughs> and I thought, yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, this is just nothing compared to that. So that's how I kind of like psych psyched myself up. So it was just a case of just like putting on the uniform and just walking through and saying, saying the least amount to anyone that you can get away with um, and just, just to get in. But it was, it was incredibly easy to do. And uh, uh, I think after the, after the article got published, I think we did another five just for fun that summer. Um, finishing with uh, the Bob Dylan... Bob Dylan and Neil Young concert in Hyde Park in London. That was the last one. <laughs> oh, Glastonbury. No, yeah, Glastonbury was before that and then the last one, yeah. But I don't do that anymore because I've, I've, I've got a job now, so I can, actually, <laughs> I can actually afford to pay for the tickets now. Um, I saw your disclaimer. I love that your disclaimer <laughs> is, it's only when you skin, you, you go yeah. out of these lengths. Exactly, because, yeah, I've always thought I, I definitely would pay for a ticket to get into somewhere, but also there's been many situations where I haven't had enough money for a ticket, so I've just had to come up with some sort of crazy scheme or scam to get in. Um, but that's, that's goes, that goes all the way back to when you were, you know, the welfare officer at the hall, so it's still like a trait that's continued. Yeah, even before that, I think. I remember, I specifically remember, like, I'm sorry to Stuart Forsyth if, he, if he's listening. But, yeah, Fos, uh, shout out, Fos, one of my boys. <laughs> but there was a way of sneaking into Mint Club, um, obviously before, before it was... In the smoking area? Yeah. <laughs> Did you do that? <laughs> You had to go over the roof of the of the next building, and then you can come in and, and you come in directly above the dance floor, and then you can slip into the. You used to be able to see before the club shut. Slip into the smoking area. There's no way I'd be saying this if the club was still going. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know when there was when there was no money at all, like uh, and just like studying and stuff, um, and of course still wanting to get into get into the uh, club because uh, I probably went to that nightclub every week or so for many years. Yeah, yeah. It was Bigger really and Barry good. on a Tuesday, lunch on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it was almost as good as the garage, but the garage was a bit better. But then the, my ultimate favourite Leeds club ever has to be uh, Stinky's Peep House. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever go on a Sunday when it went back to mine and it was like more of a, a local Leeds night, but it was, you know, a bit of like oh, yeah. naughty speed garage and baseline. Yeah, and it was kind of like it was kind of like the cream of the crop of the clubbers, wasn't it? Because like everyone had gone from club to club to club to club to club, and then you yeah. end up there. On yeah, Sunday, and it was kind of like the absolute hardcore of the hardcore. Like, you, a little, a little look round <laughs> with like you, you know, like just nodding around, like yeah, we made it, we made it, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. You earn your stripes going through there. We definitely must have crossed paths, man. I'm telling you, we must have done. We must have done. But I mean, like, is it? Um, yeah, I think I was trying to think of. Um, Championship North of it. I, I don't remember. I'm not, I think I might have come a little bit after you there then. I think uh, I was um, way early. I probably was uh, involved only a couple of times, but maybe like 2009, something like that. Um, and then and then I, I actually, so my, myself, I do stand-up comedy, creative yeah. writing, and I'm a presenter. Um, so I was sort of working like you do at that time, thinking, which one am I going to go? Am I going to... I've got a decent pay office job or should I make the jump and see if I can follow this path? And um, redundancy happened and I thought it's the perfect time really to, to give it a go. And then I, I went to Leeds Met at that time mm. to do uh, entertainment management and then it just weren't for me. It could have been like a, bit, a course on business. So then I went to Park Lane to do creative writing and then mm. um, I just found myself getting more and more putting on my own events, my own comedy events and just getting more involved shall we say in the lead scene and um just getting getting a but, bit known to be able to be supported you were on tv at one point though weren't you yeah yeah I yeah. Remember that. yeah 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 on uh, made in leeds so yeah, yeah i was doing i was doing a few bits on there as well so that gave me a good platform to get my show reel up and running and then off the back of that then i was able to do my own stand-up comedy world tour so mm -hmm. I did Leeds, Manchester, London, and then I flew Australia, did Sydney, Melbourne. And then this year I was going to do a lot more of Europe and then got a Burning Man again and do there, LA and New York. But obviously with everything that's happened, it's sort of put yeah. things on ice at minute, but it's still it's still there. But So have you been to Burning Man before? Yes, mate. I went... Um... What's it all about? <laughs> it's... It's, it's not a festival. It's not yeah. a festival. What it is, is a community. And basically, everyone goes that, you know, you don't take any money and it's all about bartering and swapping stuff. And it has that element and you don't need any money there, but you don't need to swap, essentially. It's just all about good vibes. It's basically people letting loose and connecting with who they really want to be, like. And then you've just got the extreme eccentricity of, like, probably accountants through the week and then walking around with the little peckers out like just there at this festival and crazy like different seminars so how it works if, if you imagine a clock you've got two and you've got ten so that's like on the clock front and then it works around like that so you've got six o'clock and then if you imagine it in, in a grid system like new york's like blocks um mm. each camp so people can apply to build their own camp and then yeah. they provide their own source of entertainment. So it's everything from spirituality and well-being to DJing to sex classes to food. It's just everything. But it's just um, because it's in a desert and say mm -hmm. when you're at Glastonbury, it's like 6am and you want mm -hmm. some food or you want to get your head down, you can do that. Whereas out there, because you're in a desert, it is demanding and you're always cycling on the bikes to get around and 
by the Friday, I was like, this is, this is hard. I just want to speak with my mum, do you know what I mean? I just wanted to like... <laughs> How long were you there for? Oh, wow. So the full festival runs a week. So it, we went Sunday to Sunday. It's always on the... But it clashes with Leeds Fest. Mm -hmm. So it's always that sort of weekend uh, just before Labor Day in America. But if you get a chance to do it, 100% do it. We, we were meant to again go this year, but um, look to get an RV. Because last time we were in a camp. So when you're in a camp, you have different duties. So I worked behind the bar. Some friends yeah. helped repair bikes. And it was cool. But, you know, you want to have a bit more of your own time. You just roam about and, and just get up to what you want to get up to. But I tell you the craziest thing, and if you're looking to do, like, article if you're out there, is mm. there's three tiers of undercover police that are there. So oh. you've got state troopers who are obviously just kitted out. You can see them. But mm. then you've got FBI and then you've just, I've forgotten who else as well. And uh, you can tell them. I won't say how you can tell them apart, but you can really tell them. But it's really on top, that sort of side of it. So you just... How, do you, be... know, how do you know that, the, that you can tell which one is which, though? If I say now, then they'll all hear, won't they? But, right? <laughs> I'll tell you what, after this convo, I'll tell you. But then oh, that's yeah. what the article can be on, is being able to tell who's who. It's just, and also, it's just the vibe. You can just tell by some people's vibe, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. they stick out a bit. They're not, they're just not in it, are they? Yeah, but it's, it's but the festival's incredible. Yeah. How harsh are the weather conditions there, though? Because it seems pretty, like, like, like what, what protective equipment do you take? Like, how, how do you survive that, basically, is what I'm asking. <laughs> We've got, like, uh, we had, obviously, goggles for when there's a standstorm. That's probably the worst bit, is if there's a mm. dust storm and you're out in it, you've just got to stop. And you can't see, literally, mm. I'm like, what, uh, however far from my phone now, I won't be able to see my phone because of the dust. You've just got to sort of embrace it. Um, but they're, they're far and few between. It depends It depends what Mother Nature wants to dish up, really. Uh, water, obviously, make sure you packed with your water because the heat can get searing. And the thing that got me was that because we were in a camp, we were at the leisure of the food that they prepared. And it was like mm -hmm. vacuumed veggie mush, really. There was nothing to burn off. So when you're like cycling all the time, yeah. by the time it comes, you're burning nothing off, but you're red. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy, that's crazy. Yeah, it's something that I'd always wanted to go to, but it seems dead expensive. Like, nah. told me it costs a few thousand pounds. The whole thing around it, so you've got to think, you've got your flights, you're probably going to stay in Reno, LA or San Fran before, you've mm -hmm. got your RV or you've got however you're going to get there and if you're in a camp or if you're going to stay. So if you're in a camp, you'll pay like a bit of a... Um, a sort of fee to participate so that goes to the building of the camp otherwise you've got the expense of the rv so those two sort of marry each other and balance each other out it's one or the other and then after that it's obviously if you want to fly straight back or a lot of people do uh i think it's called decom something or the other way you just go and uh recuperate basically because you've just been through this manic I, I honestly, yeah. if I couldn't see the moon, I would say that we get transported to the moon. That's why I believe it's Mars. Like, it's not on this planet. It's not on this planet. I'm not having it. And then you've got to just, like, <laughs> figure everything back. So we went to Lake Tahoe, chilled out, and um, just kicked it, really. But I probably spent, flights included, maybe two. Okay. Maybe two. Someone told me it'd be more like four. I think they it's... went in the RV and stuff as well. I, I think 
it depends what you get your RV for. I think I definitely need to add a bit more on for uh, the RV because the camp was only like 600, 700 maybe. But um, obviously an RV between three and you're looking at three, four grams. So that obviously mm. puts that side of it up. But it's, I don't know, it's like I could have spent four if I had four, but I didn't have four, I had two mm. and I got by by spending two. It's like whatever you want to take, I think you could make it work because the full week you're at the festival, there's nothing that you're spending. And you've got to think if you're going for, I think I went for four weeks because you're in America, you're not just wanting to fly yeah. over to come back. Yeah. But if you did four weeks, that's a week out of it where you're not spending anything and you've already spent everything up to that anyway. So you're not really going to spend a lot when you're in San Fran or wherever beforehand because you're just like, obviously you're going to get a bit fruity and loose and that, but it, you want to be fresh for the festival. And then yeah. after the festival, you just want to cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what did you learn about yourself during this? I time? like how you flipped this back, you know. This is, <laughs> you, you've hijacked it. I, I, check, this is like, it's like an interview chess, mate. I like it. Well played, well played. Um, what I learned about myself is that I need to... I need to embrace my. Um, I like being. I like being wrong, when I'm ready to learn. But what I learned there is that I'm not. I don't like being wrong if I don't want to back down. So if I could back down for the better situation, even though I think I'm in the right and pretty much was in the right in certain situations, mm. what the effect could have with everybody else around it because it's such close quarters you're in each other's pockets mm. you know you, you've got nowhere to go but just these people that you're with and then obviously you can go out and uh go on a bit of an adventure and a journey in yourself but you've got to come back and face it that's exactly what i learned is you can't run away from anything you've got to face it okay i wonder if you could apply these principles to like being on lockdown as well with Did... like your housemates because well, like you, you, you've got to keep the peace now, haven't you? Because everyone's just always spending all day together now. Well, I'll put it back to you. I think, do you think that when we get out of this, these principles of lockdown, because I agree with what you said there, and I think people have been a lot more accommodating due to the situation, but mm. really, shouldn't this be how we should be anyway? So do you think that when we are released or let back out, mm. that we'll still maintain that side of it, that we'll still feel that it is, it's not just airway, it's the best way? I hope so, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure, you know. I don't know whether everyone will just move on, a vaccine will arrive, and then we'll kind of just forget how, how this period was. Um, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be a waste if we did, because this is something that is monumental. Like, this is mm -hmm. something of the ages. Like, it'd be in any history book in future generations, and mm -hmm. I just don't think that we should be playing it as light as once we get back to it like i don't like the term that we should go back to normal because yeah. a i didn't agree with what the normal was and b i think that this has really highlighted the vulnerability of uh the system that we're currently in and that it doesn't support all and it's not the right one to sort of be running forward with and i think mm. at this time my worry is um is there going to be any restrictions on our freedom in a sense of mass gatherings are they going to be curtailed is it something that a few years down the line if they think well we just need to say coronavirus again and they've got us straight away that's my only concern and worry but i'd yeah. like to think that there's two rabbit holes at the moment it is a bit of a matrix moment red or blue pill and uh, i'm really going for the optimistic 
unity side I am I'm really thinking that the heroes that are going to come out of this are your frontline workers your key workers and how can we how can we ignore how can we ignore what they've done how can we go back to how it's been after what they've they've done for us I just I just don't I can't see it playing out like that yeah, it's interesting. Uh, firstly, I think that uh, after this, supermarket staff should be paid more straight yeah. away. Because I think like now we've just realised that they are so essential and they are, they are key workers uh, and so essential to our lives that really I feel like we didn't really recognise that before. And now we do recognise that. I hope that their salary is going to be updated to reflect, reflect that. I do think that there could be some implications for civil liberties here. Um, especially to do with data and stuff. I know that the government's using data to, to, uh, to or it will be doing shortly, to sort of like track infections and see who's, who's which on the face of it doesn't seem too bad. There was, there was an interesting interview with Edward Snowden the other day, and he says basically on the, on the face of it, it doesn't seem too bad that. But then what's going to happen in the future with that data? Who's going to get hold of that data? How is it going to be secured? And are, are we just going to take, are the government just going to take this as a, as a normal Thing now that they just have the right to all our data because you know that data is invaluable to so the government could be used to sway political uh, well we've uh, seen haven't we exactly yeah exactly so in that respect i think that we we do we should have we should watch our civil liberties after this and not allow this 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 sort of event to sort of just diminish things that people have fought hard for over the years um but yeah i think that going back to completely normal the way it was i, I think they should have restrictions on the traffic and stuff because like when you walk down the street now there's not as much traffic and i've got a skin condition uh, eczema and i've noticed that since the lockdown began i don't know the cause and effects relationship here i don't know what's caused this but i've noticed that since the lockdown my eczema has just disappeared really i've had it my whole life yeah yeah and it's, I've, I've never had a time when i've not had any eczema at all and it's really interesting since the lockdown began about two or three days later it just cleared up and it's gone. And I don't know if it's to do with pollution. Wow. Well, obviously, sure, but... you'll, you'll be able to chart yourself in when it does sort of come back and see if it does come yeah. back. And that, that's, that's a real good, like, that's a real good way of looking at it because the animals, you know, the creatures, mm. they've not been bothered. They've just been like, have humans gone or whatever? And they've come back out. Like, so I was speaking with uh, Dan McDougall, who's the drummer of Liam Gallagher, speaking with him mm. one day. And he was no. saying that outside his, he can hear more birds tweeting. And you can definitely feel there's a there's a calmer air around. There's yeah. definitely a calmer air around. And I, I wonder if that's something where, you know, the new normal or the new forward, like I'm, I'm sort of, point, the, the thing I'm sort of uh, trying to toy with is, is this pause or is it reset? Mm. And that's what I'm trying to like think because if it's paused, then it's just going to continue as soon as you step back out. But if it's reset, mm. which I pray it is, then maybe people will walk rather than driving because there can't be any stipulations to be put in with that. That's only from what we've based in. Well, I went for a great walk or a great run or I enjoyed that time, enjoyed that walk. People are discovering like parks round corner from them that they've never yeah. seen because their head's just been down or oh, so. Yeah. It's 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 up to us, isn't it? It's up to us to sort of push on rather than reverse back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and as well with things like family and stuff, I feel like everyone's got a sort of a, a renewed sense of um, 
of, of the importance of family connections now because sort of you're catching up with your family a bit more and before I, I feel like our lives were just so busy and like so crowded with information overload and just constantly stuff to do that like things like actually like catching up with your brother catching up with like your grandparents and stuff it's kind of got sidelined but now it's more important because I feel like everyone's had a sort of like a wake-up call of like actually you know it's really important to like keep them connections up um and also with like also with like diet i feel like I'm, this is why i'm not sure whether the eczema thing is about is really pollution or not because it could be an improved diet because i've had more time to like cook proper meals for lunch rather than just constantly like running around having to grab sandwich from here and just eating all the crap you know um so yeah i don't know it'd be interesting to try and work out what's caused that and it'd be interesting to speak to a dermatologist as well and get their take on it I've actually got a, a nutritionist. I'm not sure if she's a dermatologist. She works. Is it Great Ormond Street? Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Uh, yeah. She's involved there. I've got her coming on in a couple of weeks. So I'll send you some details, maybe listen in, and I, I might you know, sure, ask yeah. her about that side of it as well and see if she's got any theory on it. But um, yeah, how, have you found, how, how have you found it being down there then? With are you, Is your family still up north in Bury and stuff then? Yeah, family are in Bury. Yeah. I, I live in London now, yeah. Um, it's it's strange. There's a strange atmosphere um, here, especially when you take. Imagine if you took all the uh, all about about eighty five percent of the people off the street. That's what it's like. But what I've realised is that like there's, you, you notice that there's a, that the people that are kind of like like uh, kind of down and out. Might, maybe they're homeless. Maybe they're suffering from uh, severe social deprivation, or or they've got um, addiction issues, substance misuse issues. They're still there, so and, and they seem much more visible now. I've noticed. So if you take away eighty-five percent of people, and um, but you leave the, you've still got the people that have uh, got substance misuse issues on the street. Then they become very, very visible. So I was like, uh, you know, I was walking through my local neighbourhood the other day, and I noticed that everyone seemed to be sort of one of these people that's suffering from severe social deprivation. Now the government said that they've rehomed all that. Yeah, that's what I thought. But I don't know. I don't know, you know. Walking can you, in London, I don't know. Can you, um, off the back of that, you did an article, didn't you, where isn't there some, like, maverick who's going around, like, giving everybody yeah. who's still on the street. Can you, like, go into that one for us? Yeah, sure. So, basically, this, this guy, he's a music producer and an activist based in Manchester. He's called Outlaw. Um, and he's basically... So, he, he has this thing where he's, like... Um, trying to draw attention to what he believes is the unjust drug laws and he believes that cannabis should be legal and he what one of the things he does is just give out weed so he unfurled late last year he like unfurled a massive banner and it just said free bud that was in like piccadilly gardens in manchester and then obviously people just came and he just gave them all a bag of weed and then at christmas he uh what wait so uh, he was just giving out weed and he didn't get yeah. done Oh, I think I think the police I think the the police definitely detained him on that occasion, but I'm pretty sure all the weed was gone by the time they got there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't know because obviously possession is the only thing that they can do for. But um, and then he uh, at Christmas he put cash in in envelopes and just handed them out to homeless people. And then more recently he's been delivering toilet roll, hand sanitizer, and weed for free to any vulnerable people in Manchester. Um, so I wrote an article because I just thought this guy's this guy's uh, amazing. And then, how do you how do you find these people and how do you get in touch to then you know pursue writing an article on them? Well, I just kind of lurk in these 
internet forums, uh, <laughs> uh, anything, anything that's like a sort of a fringe, like a fringe social phenomenon. So something that's like uh, operating, any anything that's happening in society, whether it's operating on like the fringes of society, uh, sort of like getting away from like the norms and values uh, that, that 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 are like central in society. Um, so yeah, so I was just hanging, just basically hanging out on these like activism forums and stuff, and I came across him. Um, so then we did an interview. It was it was, it was a telephone interview because obviously we can't leave uh, our houses. Um, and then and then the next day he got like six thousand requests for uh, free weed. <laughs> Even people in Mexico, he said, were uh, contacted him. So um, so we did a follow up because people loved him. And uh, for four twenty, he. Out of them six thousand, he he got a, put them onto a spreadsheet and got a computer a, a randomly generated uh, thing. So the computer randomly generated people, and then he posted them all a gram of weed for four twenty. <laughs> so he, po- he posted four hundred and twenty packets of weed, one gram packets of weed, uh, for four twenty. So around the world. No, I think I'm not sure. I think I might have been just the UK that or. I'm not sure if it was around the world. Yeah, it must have just been the UK. Um, so yeah, we did a we did a video interview with him then after that, um, and he was sort of going into how he thinks that the the, the laws surrounding cannabis are unjust and disproportionately um, disproportionately used against uh, marginalised uh, communities and things like that. So so yeah, he's got a good point and he's got a good way of getting attention. So I think it's cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And then you see how I flips it back back to the interview now. You see his chest mate there. Right, right? Yeah. So so <laughs> you you as well uh, did a recent article when you were seeing what you could get away with posting. Yes, that's right, yeah. Uh, so I was just I was kind of drunk uh outside stood outside my house chatting to my neighbour, uh with my housemate and she came up with the idea. She was like, What would happen if you just posted an egg? Not like um not like an egg in a parcel, just if you just wrote uh, the address of, uh, on the egg and then just pops it in the letterbox. Uh, so we were like, okay, then yeah, so uh, we thought we'd do it and see what happens. Uh, now, initially, I did want to do the, just a normal egg, but then I thought, oh, well, if it breaks, it's almost certainly going to break, right, in the post box, and then it'll just ruin someone else's... Uh, someone else's letters so i had this like i had this like image in my head of like uh perhaps a vegan opening their like birthday card and it being full of egg so i didn't, I didn't want to do that so uh, so we hard boiled the egg wrote the um wrote the address on it uh and sent it through and then also just because i had to bulk it out to 800 words and it's pretty hard to write 800 words about just posting an egg so um how many words 800, I think that one was, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, so then we posted a whole range of other stuff. So, like, originally we were going to do a can of lager as well, but the can of lager didn't fit in the letterbox. Um, so we did a can of gin and tonic, which cost, like, pound fifty to post, which is more than the, the, little, the, the little can cost. Um, and then I think there was a condom, a sachet of blue, and, yeah, and, and human toenails in a bag, <laughs> labelled human toenails. Just a just a just a see through bag. So yeah, they all arrived. I I, I went to uh, King's Cross, the post box outside King's Cross station, and posted them all back to myself. And uh, yeah, they all they all arrived the next day. It was a very uh, diligent service from the Royal Mail. <laughs> <laughs> when you coming up with your ideas, how how do you um, how who's like 
how do they get chosen to go into the actual magazine or be um, published wherever they go? Well, it's just it's a simple case of uh, sending a pitch. So you send the, a title uh, with a sort of, so it would have to be quite a sort of catchy title because there's quite a lot of competition. Um, and then you just write about two or three, like two, two and a half paragraphs about um, what you want to write, why you're the right person to write it, why, why this is interesting and why you think that the audience will like it. And then maybe some information about what, what images you might be able to use for it as well. Um, and then you can, just, you can just send that to any editors. And then if they're interested, they'll just get back to you and tell you to do it, um, give you a deadline. And, then, uh, and if they're not interested, then you just don't hear anything back. <laughs> how how do you know um personally say like that one with the egg and all the other items that you were posting through that mm -hmm. could have been one that you could have recorded and done visually but you went for the writing route but then the reason why i sort of became to know who you were was the one which you did with the spatial awareness sort okay. of <laughs> optimizing jacket yeah. yeah yeah so and and i'd love to talk about that a bit more in, uh, yeah. after this point but um yeah how how do you decide then which is going to be video format and which is best for, to be written well it's only just i've only just started that was the first video i'd ever been involved in um and and essentially it's just because um there's a guy called liam that i work with uh who's, who's the producer of that video liam henley and um he I, I was telling him about, I'm writing this article, and he said, oh, that'd be great for video as well. Can we do video as well? So I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine, yeah. Um, so that's how that came about. Um, and then he had me sort of walking up and down Oxford Street for five and a half hours to produce that video. Wearing Can that, you describe uh, what you were wearing? Yeah, of course, yeah. So basically, it all happened because there was this uh, PR company who had, uh, they, they, they were doing a thing with hotels. So they were trying to promote a certain chain of hotels. And then as a publicity stunt, they created the Space Optimizing Jacket, which was like a big, essentially a big balloon that blew up on your, um, on your thing. And it was to help tourists. It was like ostentatious to help tourists with, um, with like crowded tubes and things like that. But really it was just <laughs> a gimmick to like, to like promote the hotels. Uh, so I thought it was hilarious and I thought it would be really good to get this on the tube during rush hour, see what <laughs> happens, right? So then... <laughs> So then I got in touch with the PR company and actually went to their offices to try the suit on and stuff. And I was going to use their suit. Um, uh, but unfortunately, um, they wanted to like control uh, the scenario from what I remember. They wanted to like do it on a certain time, do it in a certain way. And, stuff, and we just kind of wanted to do it our own way. Um, so ultimately, they wouldn't lend us the suit. Um, and then basically, so the photographer that I always work with, Josh Eustace, he said, oh, I, I'll just make, I'll just make, we'll make our own. So I was like, all right, then, cool. So the, the study it was based on was apparently the perfect measurement of, of personal space. This was all done well before the corona stuff happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, the, per, the optimum space is 18 inches. So apparently if you don't want to uh, encroach on someone's personal space, then you stay at least 18 inches away from them. So we made the... Uh, suit and all the all the sort of uh, points were 18 inches so we made these like tubes originally going to use pool noodle which is like the stuff that you have in swimming pools right. oh yeah 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 and then and then <laughs> we realized that it was actually much cheaper to have pipe insulator so basically josh created this thing where it was it's just planks of wood on the inside and um 
and then cable ties attaching all these like sticks. So he wrote it out on a piece of paper first as like a, as like a plan. Uh, and was it was heavy like, to wear then if it had wood on inside? It had wood on the inside, yeah. So it was, was it heavy? Yeah, it was very uncomfortable to wear. And then Liam had me for five hours up and down London, like, and like everyone was just filming on our phones, so we were worried it was going to go viral before we had a chance to get our content out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and, and we got pulled over by the police a couple of times as well, actually, undercover. Um, they wanted to know what, what it was. We were in um, uh, Waterloo train station, but we weren't filming because we know we're not allowed to film in, in train stations. Um, but... Uh, we were just having something to eat and the, the jacket, we were just having our sandwiches and the jacket was just on the side. Like, we just eat. And then uh, someone came over and said, can I have a word? And it was the Metropolitan Police, got his little badge out. Just wanted to know what it was. Um, so I told him and that, and that was it, but that happened twice. And then we were getting on tubes and there was another like, sort of like middle-aged bald man. And I thought, that's the police as well, or I'm getting paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um... When you are wearing that suit, what I thought is it looked like yeah. some of Beetlejuice. I didn't know if that inspired it. There's a scene in Beetlejuice where they go to touch something and it like spikes like come out of it. No, but it's other people made that analogy. It was, I was on the radio station in Dublin and we were talking about it and he and that chap said that he, he referenced that and I didn't understand that reference. Um, but apparently there's Rick and Marty references as well, which I didn't understand either. But people were going mad in the, in the comments uh, relating it to Rick and Marty. I so think that that's the reason the article did well, to be honest with you, because it got reshared on a load of Rick and Marty fan pages, and those people are ridiculously engaged. <laughs> <laughs> do Do you feel that um, now that that's that sort of scenario came together, do you think that you'll be writing with more videos in mind? Well, I mean, it's just it's just it just happens to be because I was sat next to Liam, really. But we have we have done another one since then when uh, when we did the actual um, we, when we actually interviewed Outlaw for four twenty on Monday on video. That was another one. I was I was actually uh, asking him the questions and stuff. So these are the two videos that I've worked on at the moment only. But yeah, we definitely got we, we've got we've got plans for more video content for sure. Yeah, definitely. And then I suppose to sort of wrap it up and thank you for your time, man. Giving no us your time, it's been good. A lock on, brother. You're a good guy. Um, what what's the what what is it like working for Vice? Because obviously they've been around for so long. They've sort of came as this underground, like you know, lightsaber cutting through it all, and then mm. they've sort of become what they were against, but still maintaining who they are. So how how do you find that balance? Because you know, when I watch shows like Viceland, when I watch everything online, mm. I'm really it. it I'd love to see how a brainstorming session comes where people are sat in their offices with their ideas of what they're pitching because it's almost like you've got to outdo what you've already done. <laughs> yeah. And that's already out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, it's just, it's just a massive collaboration between loads of really talented people and just like people that are really fun and easy to be around as well. So you can kind of just like relax and that's when I find that the more, the, the more creativity can come to the flow. So yeah, it's just a, uh, okay, uh, essentially just like a massive collaboration between all these people with a very diverse skill set and stuff. And yeah, I think we're always trying to push new ideas and doing things in a different way. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do something that's slightly different to like the last, the last thing that we did. Yeah. I'm, uh, I think these uh forums that you're on as well these sounds quirky as anything man i bet you see some i bet the stuff that you see that doesn't get covered 
is even more insane than what's actually going on. Oh yeah, there's so many crazy, crazy dark corners of the internet that you could never sort of get through the whole, the whole weird stuff. Yeah, but that's the trade secret. That's the trade secrets. Uh, Getting the niche in the niche sort of uh, subculture forums, and that's that. A lot of ideas come from that actually. Do you find um, when you sort of discovering those sort of new worlds, how um, how safe do you feel? I've always felt quite safe because I'm always on uh, from the safety of uh, behind my computer. But I mean, one that I'm particularly interested in, I've been trying to look into for ages, but it's quite hard, is, is incels. Are you familiar with incels? No. So basically, it's this group of people who are uh, voluntary, uh, involuntary celibate. So it's essentially all these really angry men who, for, for one reason or another, probably because they've got weird uh, opinions and outlooks on life is that is that women won't sleep with them right so then they become incredibly incredibly bitter to the point where they hate women and then they they call, they, they identify as incels involuntary celibate so they don't have sex but not through their choice and it's kind of manifested in this really toxic sort of uh, this really toxic subculture where they just like really hate women and they really feel like they've been done really badly but they also don't respect women, and maybe it's that's the reason that they can't sleep with women because they don't respect them. But um, but yeah, I find that a really fascinating subculture. So I'd love to do something on that in the future. And there's some really weird uh, forums and stuff that you can lurk on there if you want to see what see what this weird fringe subculture is all about. Do you think the scope for doing stuff undercover in that sort of respect, or would you approach him as, "Hi, I'm Simon. This is an article, and go from it from that angle." Definitely undercover. Undercover would be sick. 100%, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're not going to talk to me, are they? They're not going to talk to me. They're going to to, uh, to do one. Exactly, so you've got to come up <laughs> with your own character and everything to infiltrate this world. Yeah, I'd love to, yeah. I'm well into stuff like that. Yeah, that'd be sick. That'd be amazing. That'd yeah. be amazing. Yeah. Well, um, I'll leave you be, brother, because I know <laughs> you just on your lunch uh, just uh, agreed to chat. So I appreciate you taking your time out of your day and also for uh, yeah, giving me your time to speak and connecting, bro. And, um, yeah, enjoy the, uh, and enjoy the stream, so I'll keep watching. Ah, cheers. Yeah. Thank you very much. I've got Paul Foot on later, who's an nice. uh, unbelievable comedian. He's on at seven. Uh, so if you finish by then, get, in, get involved with that, because that'll be class. But uh, no, mate amazing amazing stuff like i enjoy i like i really love the pace of how you write like it's 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 very conversational it brings you in along with the story it really does and it, it, it i think that that's a gift when you come to writing is being able to bring people alongside you and feel like you're there and that was one of the main reasons i wanted to ask about the writing meets the filming side because mm. i think that the way that you write i can see almost how it would work has been filmed as well so i'm glad that the sort of two worlds are merging together for you mm, brilliant yeah thank you very much been lovely speaking to you no worries brother you Cheers, take man. care man see you later peace so there you are that was simon Doherty, and he is a content creator uh, for vice online and magazine so you can find a lot of his stuff simon Doherty. follow him of course, on Instagram, but do have a gander at his uh, articles up on the internet worldwide. They're out there. Get involved. Check him out. Uh, that's this chat from me. I'm going to be back in 10 minutes or so speaking with Neil, the co-founder of King Kobe Chop Shop. 
they will be best known for being a barbershop, but there are a lot more than that. They're doing a lot of things around the community. They've branched into clothing. He's a really inspiring guy, powerful presence about him. So if you want to check that out, come back and join us in about 10 minutes on the next live stream. Other than that, this is Loose Lips. I'm Ben Random. After Neil, there's going to be Peter Trifonovich. We've got Sarah Story, and then at seven, we've got the man himself, Paul Foot. So keep it locked on my Insta Live. Peace and light to yours.